Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, so it is official. Celtic are out of Europe, out of the Champions League. After a 1-1 draw against Shakhtar in Celtic Park on the second last game in this Champions League group stages. They go to Madrid next week. It's a nothing game. It means nothing, but it would be nice to finish off with at least a point against the reigning champions. Welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Andy Call here with you alongside Alan Morrison and Juco James as always. Now, I went very hard on this podcast on Monday night when I was discussing this game. I said that I would be very annoyed if Celtic did not come away with a win. They didn't get a win. They got a draw. And I wasn't as upset as I thought I would be here, James, that Celtic didn't get a win at Celtic Park. I thought they should have. I thought they could have. They very well could have. But they didn't. So talk us through your initial reaction to all of this. Yeah, just, you know, disappointment, frustration. Um there's the fan side, which is those in particular. Um, and then, you know, part, part of the reasons why we try to set out objective analysis is because then you can um, measure things towards a benchmark and then kind of evaluate how things went. And I, I you know, as Alan and I talked about going into the group, once the draw happened, we thought, uh, I, I don't want to speak for you, Alan, but I think that was my, my memory of my recollection of our conversation was that uh, third and get dropping down to the Europa League was kind of a baseline um, aspirational expectation. We uh, thought second getting out of the group was probably a, a, a bridge too far, realistically. Um, so from a results perspective, we've fallen short of that, obviously. Um, I think from a performance perspective, it's a lot more complicated, and we can get into that. Uh, I have a bunch of numbers that we can throw at that. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, so I'm disappointed in that regard. I, I think from a performance perspective, we're right on the edge of that third and fourth. So I, I, I think that's probably the edge that we were on, meaning that if had a little bit more positive variance, as we like to say, um, you know, we could have gotten that third place finish, but um, uh you know, I, I don't I don't think we were likely even close to uh, finishing second in the group, even with the performance levels that we we had. Yeah. So, look, we will touch on what this means for Celtic overall. I think that's generally what this podcast is going to be. It's not really going to be uh, so much a Shakhtar 1-1 one, one draw uh, analysis. It's more going to be analysis of where we're at and where we're at in the standings of world football after getting knocked out at the group stages uh, with one game still to play. But Alan, uh, th there was a few changes to this team in Sha in Celtic Park against Shakhtar. Giacomacca started with Kyogo. You know, Matt O'Reilly once again played as the number six. There were a couple of very interesting changes that Ange made going into this game with, I suppose, the idea of converting chances that we hadn't taken in, in previous games. But a lot of people after the game seemed to think that it was a very disjointed, very weird selection from Ange. Didn't really work. Didn't uh, Matt O'Reilly didn't work as the number six. Jack Amakis and Kyogo can't play together. I, I, I have to say, I, I can't agree with any of that. I thought it was a pretty fluid performance for a lot of what a lot of the game once again. And then Celtic got caught in the break, and that's that's pretty much the 
the situation it's been for the last five games in this in this competition. Yeah, I didn't. It struck me, you know, when the selection came out that it really wasn't a particularly radical change to what we've already been playing. We've been playing more. Or less, we've been playing a sort of. I'm going to call it a four-two-three-one. Most se- most of the season, actually, um, it's 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 rarely a four-two-three-one. <laughs> Uh, it's just a sort of it's just a conceptual thing to put on the screen at the beginning of the game. It's just I really think of it as a framework because when we have the ball, we've generally got um, probably six to six, if not eight players that are trying to find spaces in attacking positions. And when we don't have the ball, we we we, we you know we we fall into a sort of four four two shape to be compact, or, or we're pressing, in which case we don't really have a formation. We're just trying to press. So formations are, are kind of get people get very exercised about, but they're just I would think of it as a loose framework more than anything else. But essentially, you know, Kyogo was playing in the position that Haksabanovic had played in the last few games, or Hatati had played in, Rogic played in last year, sort of thing, more as a, a number 10, really. So a, a more of a link player between sort of midfield and forward line. I think Abada, Giacomacus and Kyogo were all on the pitch because he just wanted his best finish, what he would see as his best finishers, if I can use that language, uh, on the pitch at the same time. I think it was honestly as simple as that. Just get mm-hmm. get the three players on the pitch who, if the ball breaks them in the box, are most likely to to finish. I think I think it really was that simple, uh, and it was an absolutely um, you know reasonable way to set the team up. You know that the that's not a stretch for Kyogo to play that role. It wasn't a stretch for Abada to be on the right wing. It wasn't a stretch for Jakimakis to lead the line. So I didn't get a sense of any of that really. Um, and, and overall, I think, you know, I, I kind of agree with James, and I'm afraid, which is that, you know, like I say, I hoped we'd finish third. In fact, when the draw was made, I hoped we'd finish second because, you know, put, put, you know we all know what Shakhtar and the Ukrainian teams are going through. We thought they may be under a lot of duress and, and maybe having lost players, they wouldn't be very coherent. But actually, you know, they, 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 if anything, is, you know, as, as often happens under duress, teams knit together and they've got a, core, a much stronger Ukrainian core than what they've ever had because a lot of the foreign players have gone. Um, we thought, well, you like to see wearing a mess when we got that the draw was made uh, and then they weren't. <laughs> they changed their manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the, And then Real Madrid were Real Madrid. So, you know, it, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely disappointed. It doesn't look like we're going to make that third spot. I think that's, a, you know, to me... European football after Christmas is like a you know is one of the the, the, the little things on the checklist to say this is going to be a good season, a successful season if, if we do that. Um, so that was a disappointment. But uh, on the other hand, um, again, as James said, if you look at if you look at the performance versus results, right, and that's what you tend to do is there's two games we probably should have won and one game we should have drawn. And I know it's if buts and maybes, but I'm looking at it from a performance perspective. If we were sit if we were sitting here. From a performance perspective, saying we should have lost all five games, then we'd be having a much different conversation. But in terms of performance mm. and the underlying numbers, um, not 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 like to an ex- you know a, a, you know a ridiculous degree. So, for example, the XG from the other night was you know, according to, to to Opta was one one point three eight to Celtic, 0.87 to them. That's not enough to to you mean that you'll win the game probably more than about 50% of the time, probably something like that. Um, but, but we had two games like that against them on balance, probably a one goal into Celtic wouldn't have been outrageous. And then we had the home game against Leipzig that really by all the data was a, was a draw apart from the final score. So if we'd been sitting here with two wins and one draw, I think we'd have got third place. So from a performance mm. perspective, I can't get too critical Overall, I'm trying to look big picture here, but obviously results is what a lot of people, most people, kind of focus on. And yeah, disappointed not to be third. I guess that's my yeah. that's my kind of high level view, I suppose. A few things just to sort of knit all, all this together and and put it into perspective. So, I think firstly for our group, as well as what you're saying with the results that we potentially might have left behind us. Uh, there are also performance or uh, results that went against us in this group stage, like Shakhtar picking up that draw against Real Madrid, like Leipzig beating Real Madrid last night. That all really oh, just it, it changed changed the dynamic of the group. And if that's what happens if you don't actually pick up the points that you should pick up along the way, you do get punished in that way as well. And um, just to put into perspective the other clubs that are out of Europe after last night, so Ajax are gone. Rangers are gone, Atletico are gone, Leverkusen are gone, Barcelona are gone, 
Pilsen are gone, Copenhagen are gone, and Juventus are gone. So there's a lot of big clubs there that are gone out of the Champions League at the group stages. So that's number one that I, what I will say on this. And number two is that a lot of people are asking the question, is there progress? Has there been progress? I think there has been progress because we, ha we weren't playing in the Champions League last year. We haven't been in the Champions League since 2018. And we did pick up points along the way. So by definition of progress, there has been progress along the last couple of years in terms of Celtic in the Champions League. And just finally, and I don't want it to turn into a, a look what they're doing versus look what we're doing. But I think if you compare the two teams that are playing in, Scot in the Champions League from Scotland, Rangers finished with zero points, Celtic finished with two points, but they are completely and utterly different campaigns that these two teams had because Rangers never got started in the first place. They got absolutely destroyed throughout the entire campaign, whereas Celtic are coming away thinking, God, we, we lost a few uh, points there. We should have picked up points there. We should have won this game. We should have drew that game. So that's where I'd rather be than be where we have been in previous years. In other years where people talk about the likes of Brendan Rodgers, when he was in the Champions League, we did absolutely nothing then. We didn't look like picking up results then. We got our arses handed to us then. Whereas under Ange, it actually, you're coming away from the games disappointed. I think it's good to be disappointed rather than coming away completely just given up on, on the team and given up on life and given up on everything to do with it. I think that by de definition is progress in, in the group stages of the Champions League. So that's just a few things that I wanted to get off my chest before we move on and talk about the grander picture of where Celtic are at. So I guess, James, if you want to pick it up from there, where which do you want to start on? Do you want to start on the progress question? Has there been progress um, for Celtic in the Champions League in European football? Let's put it that way, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a hard question to answer um, because it depends on what point you're measuring from. It's very kind of, um, I think it's littered with kind of subject subjectivity. Um, you know, so relative to the 16-17 campaign, you know, are you doing it from um, when Ange came in, right? Is it progress under Ange? I think that's, I think that's an obvious yes. Uh, is it progress as a club? I think it's kind of hard to argue that over any kind of, you know, longer time frame. Um, uh, so, you know, I, so I think it's kind of both. <laughs> and, and I think the, the more interesting question, at least to me analytically, is, you know, kind of going forward, um, what's the project and is there likely to be progress, you know, next season and the season after, hopefully, obviously assuming we, we, we qualify. Um, but even if we don't, I mean, generally in Europe, that that's, and I, th I think the, I think the, uh, verdict's still out on that. Um, obviously we're hopeful and like to be optimistic, but I, I still have a lot of questions and I, um, so I have some stats to throw at you to put some of this in perspective, because I think it puts, um, some of this, it's, I, I actually was surprised when I looked at it. So let, let's start with my ball and play time statistic, my favorite one so far. Okay. So what I've one. done is I've done a bunch of different um, metrics and basically through the five group games, because, you know, everyone's played five group games now, the 32 teams in the Champions League, how does Celtic kind of rank on different things out of the 32? Ball and play time, guess where Celtic ranks? And I'm going to ask you first. Out of the 32 teams. Uh, seventh. Alan? I'm going to go top five on the basis. I think teams have deliberately kept the ball in play, knowing how that we play. We are number one. <laughs> we average so far 62.68 minutes in play. Number two is Manchester City. Uh, Real Madrid and Shakhtar are three and four. Uh, like <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, and we're, again, we're talking about Bayern Munich's, the Barcelona's, uh, Leipzig is one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh. So yeah, but they, our, but, but they, they all want to do it for their own benefits. We're there as a victims. <laughs> right. we're, we're, we're number one, but because other teams wanted us to be number one, that's the sad truth. Uh, we're, <laughs> we're also firing the ball in real quickly as well. Like we, like, I think that was my favorite theme that, of the, the tournament was watching and uh, listening to commentators who clearly hadn't uh, watch the Celtic game all season <laughs> in awe of how quickly Celtic get the ball moving again. Right. And, and that's, so again, this comes back to um, how do you make 
potentially tweaks to things as opposed to wholesale changes to playing style, right? So do you go kamikaze style on every throw-in and every corner, or do you need to chill the F out a little bit and give your players a moment's time not to be going balls to the wall the entire game, right? So that's why I raised that one. I mean, that's that's a big number, and we've t- we've hit on that repeatedly in recent weeks. So my next stat in, in stats bomb, it's called F two pressures, and basically what that means is number of pressures in the opposition's half. Okay, so I think a pressure is defined as uh, a defender going at the other team within five seconds of getting the ball. Um, so on a numbers per game basis, where do you think Celtic rank out of the thirty two teams? We'll start with you, Alan, this time. Probably fifth or sixth again. Okay. And uh, fourth. Number one. <laughs> Is the answer going to be number one every time? No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> but again, I'm building it'll up. Be one, a, it'll be one or it'll be 32. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm building up a, a, a thing here. So um, the other teams in the top, so I'm going to do them in order. So it's Celtic one, Salzburg two, Liverpool three, Madrid four, Man City five. Marseille and then Bayern Munich. Okay. So I think that speaks to the, again, the intensity with which we're playing up the possession stats are different, right? We, we averaged lower possession than most of those teams. So you kind of have to adjust for that, but that's where we lead to the next stat, which is defensive distance. So this is the average point on the pitch in which a defensive action takes place. So again, it's another proxy for how far high up the, the, the pitch you're playing and you're engaging in defensive actions on an average basis. So again, out of 32 teams, Enda, we'll go with you. Where do you think Celtic ranks? And I'll, I'll give you a hint. Gonna... It's not number It's not number one. So don't be, don't play that game. All right. Number two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alan. I can't, I can't believe we're that high. I'm going to go number 10. <laughs> we're fifth. So again, the other teams at the top, Barcelona, Manchester City, Tottenham Hotspur, Liverpool, that's ahead of us. Okay. So the the reason why I thought I'd frame this is we're trying to play a way that is very specific. um, And I I just, I'm concerned about the, the purity of it, doing it at this level with the resources that we have, unless we go really, really smart on recruitment. Um, and, um, you know, so I, I think there's been progress in it. So the other numbers I have, I'll share. So I, I, I make up some of my own stuff just based off of my own analytical background. So one of the things I've come up with is, is core OBV. No one else does this. This is completely my made up stuff. Uh, I haven't seen anyone else do it, but, um, on ball value is broken down into five components, two of which are shot and goalkeeper. I exclude those because they're such low number each game and they kind of the variance on them swings all around. And to me, you know, in any given game, a keeper can have a howler that distorts it or, you know, a guy shoots the ball from 25 yards and top, you know, top corners, top shelves. So I exclude that. And I I look at just the pass, uh, dribble and carry and defensive action, those three. Mm -hmm. And Celtic actually ranked 15th on that. So I think that speaks to, out of 32 teams, again, that puts us right on the cusp, actually, of, um, and when I say 15th, that's differential. So the differential between what our OBV was and those three core components versus our opposition. That's right on the edge of qualifying, theoretically, of uh, getting out of the group and, you know, the 16 teams that make it out. Um, So that's the positive. Right. But if you break those down, that's almost all in the past section. So if you, if, and again, to me, I worry about that being system driven uh, because of how smart we're coached and the movement and the dynamics of how we're going. Um, because the pass differential is 13th, whereas the dribble and carry and defensive actions are 27th and 28th. Right. So I, I, as I kind of boil all this down, my analysis is that it's a dual-edged sword of what our system is, and um, I, I, I'm just concerned about our ability to scale this, as I said, unless we're really going to be smart with um, recruitment or mm-hmm. we get a season where we just get good finishing 
and a, a keeper and or a keeper that stands on their head. Because again, the variance on those two components are huge and you can get, you know, th three or four games of that kind of stuff swinging in your direction. Um, like Rangers did getting through the, the, the knockout stages in Europa league last season, you know, it happens that that's part of tournament football. Um, teams that get hot or have that kind of variance can, can, um, go a long way. So that can happen. We, we can hope for it, but it, that's why I look at these kind of underpinning the kind of core stuff. And there's some things to be positive about it there, I think, but also, you know, some things to still be quite concerned about. Well, I think when you look at what Frankfurt are doing this year in comparison to Rangers, it shows you there was two teams on two different trajectories there and how they got to the Europa League final wasn't exactly linear. But let, let's talk about what that all means in football terms, Alan, because basically there's two sides to the current fan uh, analysis of, of all of this, and that is one that Celtic need to be more pragmatic, that they've had success in the past uh, by being pragmatic in Europe, not really sure what people mean by that because they, they haven't really been successful in the past by being pragmatic. They've got a couple of big results here and there. But when you talk about Ange in particular, so we're James has sort of outlined how far we're playing up there, how high we're pressing, how much we want the ball to be in play. And a lot of people are saying, okay, well, maybe just get a result when you get, like, just try to get a result rather than, than going helter-skelter and, and going full whammy at your game plan. Can you do what Ange is trying to do on a long-term basis, improving the club by not doing it the full way for one or two years? Because I don't think you can. I don't think you progress the club, progress the game plan, progress the players that you're working with by not, by not playing your game plan for one or two years and then just you can't just switch it on in three years time when Celtic have better players you need to work with this for a number of years in order to instill it as the identity of the club yeah I, I think there's a danger in these conversations of <clears throat> thinking that when we think about um, words like uh, pragmatism and angeball that this is a binary sort of situation where there's an extreme at one end where you do this and there's an extreme at another end where you do this, right? And it, that just isn't the reality of, of the world, frankly. Okay, so um, let's, let's just strip it back a little bit and just remind ourselves where we are, okay? So what the, what Postacoglu believes is that the best way to win any football match at any level is to put the opposition under as much uh, you know pressure as possible and that, you know, by forcing mistakes... In, in their defensive third and having as many players attacking as you possibly can at any time and keeping them under pressure and being, but also at the same time when when you've got the ball maintaining a degree of control of the ball so it's two things it's control of the football and it's applying as much pressure as you can in the in the opposition's defensive third when you haven't and he believes that's the best way to win football matches and now that is a very um high level philosophy it isn't it isn't a tactics manual, okay? So let's be very straight about that. There are there are many different ways to achieving that that philosophical or that framework that that framework that I've just described at a very high level. That that what I've just described at high level, you could put on a PowerPoint. It would take one slide, and and you could call it a strategy if you like, okay? And that's what we're talking about. How you implement that strategy has to have variability around it because you know circumstances are different and opponents are different. So you know. That, 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 so that, that that comes down to the tactical side. So what, what, what you know does in the question was you know does does what we're doing scale? So I think there's evidence from the, this campaign that the way that we've implemented tactics to meet that strategy, um, there's there's bits of it I don't think will scale, um, and I just can't see a way around it. And what I mean by that is and we've talked about this on every show is is the is and then James mentioned it is this conundrum around pressing as if you're Bayern Munich. But only having forty percent of the ball, right? I don't think you can do the same. Those two things, okay? I don't think you can do those two things. I don't think it's physically possible to play at the intensity and speed of a Champions League game and have forty percent possession and press as if you're Bayern Munich. So I think you have to find a way to square that. Now that doesn't mean that therefore the only other alternative to doing that is to park the bus and put ten men behind mm -hmm. the ball. That isn't the case. Right. The way you square that is you is you choose to press more selectively, you, and, and that and that is a very difficult thing to do. It requires 
high-end team uh, coordinated decision making by the team to say, do we press and do we press in the second? Do we do we, do we do we make that decision to press, or do we fall back into shape? Celtic didn't look under much pressure in any game when they fell back into a shape, which they did into a fairly medium block. We kept a high line, and I've got no problem with the high line. Squeeze the game as much as you dare. I've got no issue with that one. I think that does scale, but um, I think the the tweaks, if you want to call them that, to the tactics to meet the strategy, are to the pressing decision making, and then the second aspect of it is. You know, do you have the players that are actually capable of playing at this level to yeah. execute on it? And that and that that is a that is a difficult one. And clearly, you know, we we don't know that until we see them in the heat of battle, right? So yeah. um, that's some that's something that you know you got to give the manager time to decide: is this player, you know, and because because and you know, I'm just going to end up with players in the squad who he thinks. In the SPFL, this player is hugely valuable to help me win the league to get into the Champions League. But once we're there, it doesn't you know just can't step up to that sort of level, right? It's going to be that we're going to have that kind of profile of player. We're probably going to have quite a few of those, and, that, and that's going to be a difficult one to to square. But the tactical side of it, I'm pretty clear on what I think is the thing that doesn't work and and, and has to change. But you don't throw it all away. You 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 refine it and you improve it. Exactly. And that, that would be my main point, because if you look at, and I know people hate when I bring up the Premier League teams or Premier League or English or whatever, <laughs> but if you look at when Jurgen Klopp took over Liverpool and when Pep Guardiola took over Man City, both of them both of them did absolutely crap their first year. They did terrible because they were trying to do something that the players that they had at their disposal did not know how to do and did not have the engine to do. And then the next year and the following year, it kept getting better, it kept getting better, and suddenly they have 11 players on the pitch, they have the game plan in place, and those players know exactly what they're going to do, and they're the two best teams in the world for the past five years. You know, like, this is this is how it works. You cannot just take a club that were trained by Neil Lennon, for God's sake, for the last number of years, and expect these players to know exactly what you're going to do. Even, even the top-level players in the world that you can think of don't know how to implement these game plans. Sergio Aguero spoke just last week about when Pep Guardiola took over Manchester City. He had no idea how to press. He didn't know how to do it. And he didn't have the engine to do it. And he was blowing by the 50th minute. And we're talking about Sergio Aguero here, you know, like a really, really top level player. So I'm just working with lower level players and still trying to teach them this absolutely elite way of playing football. It's going to take time. And I think... That's where I would argue that you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You can't take a step back this season. You cannot make conservative choices at Champions League level and expect to develop that at Champions League level next year. You need to take these risks this year and see how it works. And then, like you're saying, refine it over the next couple of years. So that's overall where I feel about this campaign. So um, I guess then if we're talking, if we want to talk about players, then where where do we most need to refine this can i just say one thing because uh, i you know people throw around um you know club rouge or they and i you know you mentioned benchmarks and aspirational well, clubs club brug have been the club that everybody has loved pointing to towards well right this right so <laughs> and again i'm not that familiar with their setup but i'm more familiar with salzburg because i, I find them endlessly fascinating um but one of the things i've mentioned before is but part of what they've started to do and they figured out in the last let's say five years is they're recruiting very young but what they're doing so they're getting people before their athletic peak you know athletic peaks kind of 24 to 27 um and they're getting them while their brain's still developing at like 17 18 19 and they're putting them through like uh virtual reality training sessions to learn this pressing that alan's talking about right so they're they're going through advanced training with the top technology in order to program their brains and to, you know, indoctrinate them, the muscle memory, as far as how do they press in a coordinated fashion? So that's why, I mean, if you watch Salzburg, they're, you know, they're competing. I'll, I'll say that they're competing at a champions league level consistently. And look at who they started against Chelsea the other night, 19 year olds, 20 year olds, 21 year olds. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible what they're doing. And I've, I've consistently said, I mean, we're not going to be able to do that. I mean, you can't 
there's too much intellectual property. There's too much, you know, like really sophisticated stuff that they're doing. You're not gonna be able to mimic them, but there are, I think, lessons to be learned to try and move in that kind of direction. Um, so to Alan's point, I mean, these things are not easy. And the, the type of clubs that we're competing against are going to really advance significant lengths in order to do some of the same things. Um, and, you know, the Bayern Munichs of the world are throwing and, and the Man Cities of the world are throwing hundreds of millions of pounds at it to buy the best and most athletic players in the world. And then you got somebody like Salzburg who's doing it their way, but ultimately they're all kind of going in this direction of raising the bar. And that's how we're playing. Like that, that's why I threw all those numbers out there is that that's the neighborhood who we're trying to kind of compete with playing this style. Um, and it's going to be really hard to get these guys at the athletic level with the cognitive functioning that's going to be able to execute it. And I, so I, that's, I just wanted to mention that because I agree with Alan. I mean, this is a really high bar to get players that are going to blend those two things together um, to do it at this, at this level. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, like Ange mentioned Brugge as well as a, an example of this progression that you need to make. Like they've been a Champions League club for a number of years now. And yes. they're the manager who had them last year is now in charge of Ajax. No, I know, I know Ajax got, you know, they got pumped out of their group, but they were, I mean, Ajax are a huge club. So that's a level of coaching that you're talking about. They had an incredibly elite coach and now they've improved on that this season because they have the money to do so. They have the capabilities to do so. And I think, I, I just think, what do you think, Alan, the reality is that Celtic become like a Brugge or a Shakhtar, even a Shakhtar, for example, or, or a club that is just consistently in the Champions League competing to get out of the group every single year and hopefully progression on towards that. Let's just say, for example, Ange stays forever. Let's just say we have carte blanche on Ange and uh, he's, he's just at the club forever. Do you think it's possible? Because I've, I shiver at what Celtic would do to Scottish football every year if they just kept on this uh, just nonstop uh, 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 trajectory that they're on at the minute. I mean, I think it's it's possible. Um, you know, as the old joke goes, uh, in, as regards Brugge, it's taking me nine years to be an overnight success. <laughs> and that's, that's the reality. It's taking them maybe not nine years. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
because I can't remember. There have been many, many Champions League campaigns. And this year, you know, year upon year of probably, and I'm not familiar with the with the background of the club in terms of what their you know culture and philosophy is, but you know they've probably built up they've built up to the stage that in the context of a league and, and being a club that's probably well the club's certainly smaller than Celtic and being in a league that's probably not much bigger than ours, they can regularly be spending ten million pounds on players, and that's where we need to build towards where the, our finances are such that we can regularly spend ten million pounds on the best um, 19, 20-year-olds in Europe or, or wherever we're allowed to get players from <laughs> under under this glorious sunlit upland Brexit uh, nirvana that we're all part of. Um, and, 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 you know, and then we recycle them for, for, for 30, 40 million rather than buying players for two or three, five million and recycling them for 10, 15. So there's, a, there's an upscale to what we've to what we're doing that we have to mm-hmm. to get to get into. Now that's going to take years to build that. Okay, and what has to happen in the background is all the stuff we've talked about many, many times, which is, you know, becoming excellent at all the stuff that a club like Celtic, you know, there are no barriers to Celtic having world-class physiotherapists, world-class nutritionists, world-class data analysts, world-class sports scientists, world-class, all of those background activities and those those technical activities that, that go towards seeking the, the millimeter by millimeter marginal gains in performance, in recovery, in fitness, in nutrition, in in scouting, all of those things are not outside of the gift of Celtic. So that has to happen at, at the club in line with building up this scouting network that has to be as broad as it possibly can be, has to be as sophisticated as it possibly can be. And now obviously we can't spend as much as Man City, but again, you know, how much does that all cost? It probably costs you less than a, than what it costs to to have Jota on your payroll for five years. Frank, to be honest with you, so you know, so, you know, don't have one six million pound players for five years. Think of it that way, and invest in all this stuff, and you you'll probably find that over a ten year period, you'll more than make your money back, and you'll 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 get demonstrable gains. So these are all the things that need to happen, and then you know we've got we've got the we've got the visionary man with a plan. You know that everyone wants to get behind. We've got a unity between you know board and manager. It would seem you know the, the manager's got reign to do what he wants, but we need to make it so that he concentrates on the on the football team, and the rest of the organisation gets on with making sure that everything else that's happening is best in class uh, behind the scenes. Because there's no reason why it shouldn't be, frankly. Um, and then and then then we'll start to be able to to trade in the level of player that we'll need to play the way that we that we want to play. But it'll take time. This is this. This could be a five, ten-year project easily. Well, that's that's the issue. Is that it's you know it is a results-driven business, and eventually people do lose patience. Just to clarify something, because Quinny points out in the comments that the former Brugge manager has actually taken over Monaco. Schroeder, who is now in charge of Ajax, actually replaced Philippe Clement who was the Brugge manager who went to Monaco. So he, he was there for a couple of months. He joined in January and then left the, the following season to go take over Ajax. He's actually had an extraordinary career um, aside from, from moving from Brugge to, to Ajax. But in general, then, where are we looking at in the immediacy? Because a lot of this conversation is so hard to sort of wrap your head around because it is a what could happen in five years if Celtic do X, if they change their nutritionist to Y, if they get in X on the transfer basis and things like that. What do they need to do in the immediate future, be that January transfer market, be that summer transfer market? Where do they need to immediately start investing in, in your opinions? I mean, for me, there's still the same three that we didn't really address, which is... um... Defensive mid? Uh, not no, not for me. Defensive mid. I you know, kind of the elite European level athlete in a box to box midfield role. Meaning that I, as good as I think Hatate and O'Reilly are in their own ways, um, neither of them are that kind of you know uh, elite athlete from a size, speed, agility perspective. And I think we're missing that relative to transitions. And whether you want to call that a six or an eight. You know, somebody who's going to be able to use their athleticism to patrol that midfield and and help 
um, with these transitions that we are inherently going to concede. Um, Can I just add to that? That person must be willing to take a booking when a booking is there. To well, be taken. fair enough. Yep. Yep. Fair enough. That's my um, pet peeve with the Celtic team. And then, you know, a, a ball playing center back and, you know, a sweeper keeper. I mean, that, to me, those are the three things that we're still kind of light on. Um, so that hasn't really changed, in my opinion, anyway. And they're not, they're not, again, these are not easy things to come by. I mean, you know, it's not like <laughs> yeah. they just grow on trees and you go pluck one off, but. Yeah, um, exactly. They have to be found. Can I just actually, before I go to you, Alan, can I throw a more specific question at you on this point? So <clears throat> three players that I think were kind of showing up, not to the extent where I don't think they can improve and there is, there is promise and signs there, but three players that I think particularly struggled, let's say in the Champions League this year were Abada, who, you know, his obvious weaknesses of not being able to dribble past the player were showing up quite a bit in this campaign. Hitate, who has been incredibly wasteful with some of his passes and a couple of his passes led to several goal ch chances across the Champions League group stages, including the, the Shakhtar goal this year or uh, this week. And I would say Maeda, who just struggled overall, but I think his form was quite slightly off. Uh, throughout the Champions League campaign. I don't know if it was so much his quality, but I think on the ball, he doesn't offer enough in the Champions League level to justify his weaknesses on the ball. That would be my three weakness, uh, weak, weakest players in terms of the Champions League campaign. Yeah, and some of that might be kind of, you know, we're talking about, like you said, form, or are we talking about we'll never be able to play at that level is a different question, I think. So, I mean, I think you know, to your point in terms of, you know, we, we threw a lot out there, and you're, you're, you're you know, you were saying, and oh, it's, it's just bewildering. It's like, it's like anything, any organization and change, right? You break it down, you have multiple pro programs running. Some of them can run in parallel. Some of them run, um, you know, uh, have dependencies on X being complete before Y can be can be implemented type of thing. So you just need a good project manager in, in, in real terms to kind of, you know, bring it all together. But a lot of these things can be done in the background, in, in parallel. It's more about organizational culture, everyone kind of moving in the same direction, really. And, you know, the organizational goals being aligned as opposed to every uh, division within the, uh, every department having its own, uh, you know, bottom line to, to square. That's all that everyone cares about, which is where we were, you know, two years ago. So it's it's it's, all, it's, it's that you can you can break it down in terms of on the pitch. My understanding is that you know we didn't spend Ange didn't spend all the money that was in the pot, you know, in, in the transfer window. Which again, if you think about that, that that means that he doesn't. And I think we've seen this, right? Would you trust this man with your money? I think I think the answer is yes. He wouldn't spend money. Just for the hell of it, just because oh, I can spend, I can, I've got another ten million to spend, or I'm just making that number up, by the way. Uh, it came, first thing that came into my head, um, you know. Therefore, I'm going to spend it, as a lot of managers would do, to try and get as much instant success as they want. If it's not the right player, if it's not the right position, or it's not the right character, personality, even the whole package, then he's not he's not going to do it. Um, so I, I think the, I think there'll be more strengthening in in January. Uh, I think we'll see even greater strengthening. I think the areas. We need to strengthen personally. For me, I completely agree in terms of midfield athleticism, uh, and uh, also I think we pro we probably need a number another another uh, central striker. Um, I think Jackamakis is is improving. Uh, you know, he's been given a chance in a at this level, even as a twenty seven year old, and I think his his game is improving. Um, I do worry about Kyogo. Uh, I don't. Again, he's. 27 i think um you know he had a very it was a very very serious hamstring injury last season and i i don't know if he'll ever get the same explosive pace and i'm talking about you know be able to movement over short distances really which is a sort of trademark I, I, i've got no data for that it just it just strikes me that he's not quite as pin pin Prick sharp as as perhaps he wasn't is that a little bit to do with just you know again that's a really serious injury to come back from and and, and you know his age it's not like he was he's seventeen and he's probably going to get that flexibility back again it's something that's going to have to be managed so long story short I would probably look to bolster the striking department as well I think we need to address you know having a a, a goalkeeper because I mean even the lad from Shakhtar Trubin I mean you can see. Just the way the, the quickness with which he was able to recycle the ball, 
take crosses, get on his feet, move. You know, he was comfortable. That is that kind of thing, right? We're not talking about he probably isn't as good a goalkeeper in one-on-one situations as Joe Hart is, but he he's probably quicker and more agile at, 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 at rescuing the ball in his own area, recovering the ball in his own area, and then recycling the play and getting the ball the ball moving. So it's that kind of profile you probably want to look for. And I still think we're we're short at centre back. I do wonder that we've not got four centre backs that are you know, really of the calibre that we probably need. So. Um, I think there's still a lot of work to do, and we've still got probably people in the squad that probably you know are, are doing a good job and being good good teammates, but aren't going to probably be part of long term plans. So I think there's I still think there's a good couple of transfer windows of activity, but but again you know it never stops <laughs> to, to use the phrase because you you'll buy new players in they're not going to be championship red, ready Champions League ready players because we don't operate in that market. And therefore, you don't know if they'll step up until you, you get through. And then there's, you know, the, obviously the jeopardy of what you can we get through to the Champions League. So there's going to be, I think there's going to be a continual flux of change. But those, to me, to keep it simple, to break it down, what's what's in front of us for the next transfer window, those would be the things I'd, I'd probably be looking at. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, again, just to come back to the point of this is the first Champions League campaign for a lot of these players in their entire careers. And I'll use the example of Greg Taylor. How many people would have said last season and again said during the summer transfer window and again said when Bernabe joined the club that Greg Taylor was not Champions League ready? I would say pretty much the entire... (laughs) No, for sure. No, we wouldn't say that about... um, uh, Yeah, we wouldn't say that about a one-over-one. But I I would say pretty much 95% of the fan base probably would have said that. that Greg Taylor is not a Champions League left-back. And if you're talking about a uh, like a, a a Leipzig or a Salzburg or a, even a Brugge, is he is he a left back level for them? Probably not. Is he a, a knockout Champions League level left back? Probably not. But he's been Celtic's best player in the Champions League, in my opinion. And I'm not basing that off in any stats. I just think he's been the player who stood up and performed to the level that you expect for, for, from him. So what happens next year with O'Reilly, who's playing now has uh, playing his second campaign in the Champions League, or Abada, who might have even grown a little bit since the last campaign into the Champions League. Jakimakis again, you like players can improve from the point of where they are. I, like it is not just a this is a player, this is his standard, this is the standard he's going to be for the rest of his his career. Players can improve, and I do think with the coaching that Celtic have been putting in they will improve on on that next year. So I think even what to your point of where we're operating at in the transfer window, Celtic will bring in players like, say, even Haksabanovic, who they brought in. He's probably not Champions League ready, but he might be next season. And again, the players that we bring in in January or in summer next year, they may not be ready for next year's campaign, but they might be ready for the following campaign. So you just need to be long-term in your thinking. I'll use another English example of this. Manchester City, they had an agreement with Rodri two seasons before they brought him to the club that he was going to join the club and be their defensive midfielder to replace Fernandinho. Two years later, he was Champions League ready. He was the the player that they expected him to be once he got at the club and he hit the ground running. But that was two years in the making. They knew he wasn't ready then, but they said to the club, they said to Rodri, we'll get you in two years. We'll come back. Here's what we'll give you. And then you'll be ready. And he was. And that's where Celtic need to be thinking. That's where, in, in my opinion, Celtic's fan base need to be thinking, okay, this year's a disappointment, but two years from now, we could be a much, much better outfit and the players that we have at our club. It's not about constantly going out and refreshing 11 players at your club. You can't improve them. Like Yeah, no, I I, I, I mean, I agree. And But again, this comes back to, um, you know, squad planning, um, and, and, you know, making smart investments, making smart sales, which we have not been great at. Actually, I'd argue. A lot of people great. in the comments making that point that we need to sell off big players for big money. At, next, well, next at season. a smart time. Right. So, you know, as uh, Frimpong is now being rumored to go to wherever he's being rumored to go to, um, you know, so it, it, it's 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 setting up that conveyor belt and. You know, back to you know, this idea of are, are these players going to 
and we're, it's all probabilistic, right? So you can't predict the future, but how many 27 year olds are going to just all of a sudden improve in a way that's going to turn them into a champions league level player when they haven't really shown that up until that point in their career, it's possible. There are late bloomers in sports and in life. Um, but the probabilities are not great. Uh, you get someone who's 22, 23, more of a normal development curve. Okay. I, I can, you know, from a probabilities perspective, you have a bunch of people like that in, in your squad, then sure. I, I can buy into that. Um, so I, I, I think that's another part of this is we're going to, we should be selling people next summer, if not in January, um, probably at least two, I would think, and unless we're not going to be smart again. Uh, meaning that, you know, start selling some of these people at the age when they really should be sold when maybe if they're not peak value, you know, the balance between what their market value is and what their contract situation is. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah so well, it, it's that conveyor belt that has to be set up. So even somebody like Greg Taylor, as much as, you know, if there's a, you know, an upper championship level team that rightfully so, I mean, the guys had a tremendous growth spurt here from a production and from a performance perspective, if someone's willing to give us 10 million for Greg Taylor, I, you know, I, that's why I got a lot, you know, a lot of uh, fan fan mail when I said that if we could get 15 million for Jack Amakis in August, you'd have to be insane not to sell them. Um, and, you know, so you have to have that discipline to be able to, to monetize some of these players and start this conveyor belt. Because you have to have those resources, as we we're saying, it's somebody in the comments, you know, to buy that nine million pound Edward at 19, that's how you do it. You got to be able to sell some of these guys. Do you want to come in and add on? Yeah, like absolutely, absolutely spot on. Um, and that's hard because we all get emotionally attached to the players. But you listen, and, and we we do see we do see players improving under and Jim Taylor's probably a shining light in that. And what what do we mean by by that? So you know, when I when I look at a player, uh, and, and I think this has been obvious from all the teams that we've played, is that just look at their defenders. When we because the, as 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 James pointed out with the stats, the pressing stats that he that he gave, no, no teams in Europe have been put under more pressing pressure than the teams in our group, right? <laughs> and look how they've coped with it. I mean, generally, we we you know we we've done quite well. Um, even against Shakhtar, we forced them to cough the ball up about six times in their own third. So that means that the ball they've got the ball possession in their own defensive third. Six times we've turned the ball over. We did the same to Real Madrid, right? That's pretty impressive, okay? But 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 also on top of that, a lot of times they they play through the press. And how do they play through the press? Well, if you watch their players, they're able to take the ball in unpromising situations near to touchlines, near to their own goal line in many cases, control it, have the physical strength to fend off someone who's pressing them. And then complete the next pass, and it's still and that sounds really simple, but to do that at that level under the pressure is is what marks out a, a player that's able to play at that level. Okay, mm -hmm. something like Greg that wasn't in Greg Taylor's game a year ago, but now you saw we saw him tight against the touchline on a few occasions where he was able to manipulate the ball, get out of very tight spots, and keep the ball moving. That's what good players do. That's what all the teams. That's what marks out great players. They've got balance. Their first touch is excellent. They've got they've got strong. I don't mean they're big muscly people. I mean they've got strong cores. They can fend off people, putting them under physical harassment, and they're technical enough to then execute under pressure, both physical and um, geographical, on the pitch and, and get and get and keep the ball moving. That's what you need to look for for what makes a you know. So you could almost do a drill where you put somebody in a little square and. A four, you know, four big lads. Can, can they can they navigate their way out of those positions? That's a great test for some, somebody's technique and, and for their strength. And it's that's what that's what all these teams can do. And if you don't have players that can do that, you're not going to do anything at this level. So, um, mm. it, you know, someone like Greg Taylor, I think, has improved massively in that regard, and you can see the evidence of it in those moments when he's put under huge physical pressure. But other other players, you know, not so much. Yeah, big time. Two of the, we'll say one of the goals that Celtic conceded 
is what you're talking about there, the Real Madrid goal, where it was just Celtic had them pre- penned in, and then the next thing, three passes, boom, they're in the they're in our box. And then last night again, the we'll we'll call it a miss. I know some there's an argument whether it was a miscontrol or a miss. I personally agree with you, Alan. I think it was a miscontrol. I don't think it goes to shoot. Um, but that comes from Celtic had Shakhtar pinned in. One defender took uh, two touches and then played a very risky pass across his box. Um, and it got to his his player up to Mudrik. He skins Carter Vickers, and then there's through on goal. So it's like that's sort of where Celtic need to get to with our defense. That we can, if teams do press us high, um, that yeah. we can we can do that without yeah. you know closing our eyes every time every time Jens or or Starfeld has the ball. So something the other element of this is just the whole the whole game game management aspect of it. So you know that was Shakhtar's game, right? I mean they're the classic, and I, 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 I hate to sort of use generalizations um, along sort of any perceived racial grounds, but if you're old enough like me to remember when when you know Eastern Europe was called Eastern Europe, the way Shakhtar play is classic classic Eastern European football from the sixties. It's it's slow, slow, quick counter attacking football. It's, it's it's a throwback to you know the Dynamo Kiev side of of the mid sixties uh, you know early seventies. Um, it really it really is. It's, it's, it's the classic modern, classic Ukrainian, not Soviet model yeah. of, uh, of I'll, I'll be honest, Alan. I, I I didn't get to see the Kiev team of, of the sixties. <laughs> they, they were great. A little um, a little bit before my time. <laughs> um, so so listen. What I'm saying is, there's, there's no surprise there when you we were going to get, uh, but but also. Same as in some ways, Celtic. What James's stats were very interesting because what they said was, Celtic were in some respects so predictable. Other teams knew knew how to had already come up with a plan for how to counter them. Similarly, at one nil up against a team like that, it's actually quite easy for frustrate them. You just eliminate their ability to counter on you. Now that probably means playing differently to how Ange plays, but that's the kind of game management that can get you a one nil win in the Champions League. Now, is that is that going too far in terms of what people would perceive as pragmatism? I don't know, but, but it, to me, it would just be smart to kind of nullify the other team and frustrate them, and then that would potentially allow you to to uh, you know to, to get more space uh, in in those areas. So, just to wrap this all up, then Celtic are out of the Champions League. They're out of Europe. I, you know, I probably would have been on the same. Level is just when it came to the predictions, I would have hoped the Celtic would get at least third in this group. That didn't come to fruition. One prediction that I made was Juventus were absolutely shocking in this entire competition, and I would have preferred to be in a group with them. I said that, and I'll I'll stick by it. Uh, but I guess moving forward, the immediate thing that we want is not to lose to Livingston this weekend um, and then move on, win the league, win the cup, win the win the league cup. I, I, treble is probably not an, an unrealistic thing to probably hope for this year, given the double last year, you're probably looking to improve on that and then keep on building it essentially. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, sorry, James, I was just going to yeah, say, no, go we, ahead, please. you know, we've still got, remember, we've still got this, we've talked a lot about how do we build a squad for Europe? How do we, you know, reorganize the club to be aligned along modern lines really but we still have to win the league <laughs> we've still got to have the right players to win the league every season and that that's the, the circle that has to be squared every season so yeah, sorry, I was just, that was the obvious point I was just going to make well I, and what I was going to say is I mean as much as Rangers have been a bit of a dumpster fire <laughs> um, we're only four points ahead I mean, as crazy as that is, uh, I mean, that, that's the nature of the, the league um, is that, you know, and, and even a team out of the two, the top two that aren't playing that well, for the most part, are not going to drop that many points. Um, so, I mean, we're, we're one crazy Tony Macaroni experience away from this being <laughs> a two point race again. Uh, and obviously, I, I don't think that's going to happen, but. Um, you know, so, but I, I agree. I mean, and to me now it's extremely disappointing to me. I'm bitterly disappointed not to have, uh, post-Christmas, um, European football to look forward to. Um, and I think now it, it, you know, normally with us in Europe, I wouldn't, I, I would almost argue that the league cup should be deprioritized because of, you know, the fixture congestion and, 
and we have some young players that really should be playing and you know that kind of thing um but now it's like okay well you know let, let's go for the treble um and i think we really should shoot for it because we don't have that european piece to to to, to gun for in the in uh 2023 now at least in the winter so and, and i don't see any reason why it shouldn't be a realistic possibility i mean like like favorites it, it should be a a significant probability that we we could pull it off um yeah so yeah hopefully get to the world cup without any major injuries for the rest of the season is probably another prediction that you'd you'd hope would come true um i mean this is the thing as well the the world cup is sort of messed up with the season as well so we're in such a congested area right now that we're probably lucky that the game was on tuesday that celtic don't play now until sunday so they've got a good period now where they can just uh sort of rest and and get whoever picked up there's an epidemic of injuries across football because of all this i mean this these these players are being flogged um in a way that's just you know not uh not natural so um teams are putting you know dealing with injuries all over the place and that's probably only going to, again this is only going to get worse through the world cup um because we just keep stacking these games on top of each other um so yeah that's a great point and i mean that that's that that could have a huge impact even on the you know on a perspective trouble but also on the title race um uh so yeah, it, it's we we definitely can't afford any major any additional major injuries. I mean, because Alan's point, if we lose one one of our two strikers at this point for any significant period of time, I mean that would be really concerning. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's hope that that doesn't happen, and let's hope that we get a win at the Tony Macaroni before we finish up <laughs> this week and the week that it was in. Uh, in Celtic football, uh, the Real Madrid game thankfully doesn't really mean anything now. Next week, so it's a free hit. We can go and and try get a a pop at the the current champions. Well, they need to win, unfortunately. Ah, <laughs> mm. uh, they don't. They don't really. No, they do. If they'll they want fine. to get, they'll be fine. If they want, if they want to get first place uh, seeding, um, they'll need to win. So, yeah. Yep. As, I suspect, as I usual, suspect we the... might get their A team for the first half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As usual with the Champions League, though, there are a couple of teams in second place in the group stages that are actually, you know, they're better than the teams that have finished first. Uh, so it's just it's just funny how, how the uh, the group stages can go. Um, it's It really is. It depends on the groups and where you land and who you're playing and when you're playing away and things like that. So, um, look, we don't need to worry about it. It's Livingston this weekend now and uh, then Real Madrid next week. So we'll be covering both of those games on the podcast uh, next week when we when we do record. But until then, if you want to get us, if you want to get this podcast, if you missed the start on YouTube, you can get it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to catch it on YouTube every week, you can get it at the Huddle Breakdown on YouTube is the best place to subscribe. But until then, we'll chat to you later. Good luck. Time to play the game! <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the game, and how you play it. It's all about control. And if you can take it, it's all about your death. And if you can play it, it's all about pain. And who's gonna make it? I am the game, you don't wanna play me I am control, no way you can shake me I am heavy debt, no way you can pay me I am the pain, and I know you can't take me Look over your shoulder, ready to run Like a Cleveland bitch from a smoking gun I am the game, and I may lose So move on out, you can die like a fool Try to figure out what my mood's gonna be Come on over, son, no, I don't dread me don't you forget there's a price you can pay Cause I am the game and I want to play
Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.